Welcome to Readers and Writers, a podcast for those who love to read and for those who love to write. I'm Colin Smith with Unlocking the Bible. Uh, We're here on the Unlocking the Bible stand at the Gospel Coalition, and with me is Trevin Wax. Thanks so much, Trevin, for uh, joining us. We're going to talk today about your writing and particularly about your book, This Is Our Time, Everyday Myths in the Light of the Gospel. So, Trevin, uh, tell us something first about your work with Lifeway. So I am currently the Bible and reference publisher at Lifeway. That means I oversee all of the Bibles we publish. Uh, We have three translations, the uh, New King James, the King James, and uh, the Christian Standard Bible. Which is just out this year. Just released, that's right. And and what's distinctive about it? Uh, The the CSB is somewhere, it's right in the sweet spot in the middle between a more formal word-for-word translation and a more thought-for-thought, more dynamic translation. So it would be more literal than the NIV and more readable than the ESV. It would be really, really useful in that kind of position. Now, um, fascinated to talk with you about your writing and indeed your own reading. Mm-hmm. I have heard that you consume books at a phenomenal rate. Reading on the bus, is that right? I do, uh, I, I do. I, I, I like to, I, I read just about everywhere. Do you so. skim read? I mean, how do you absorb the amount of material that you're taking in? You know, some books, uh, I guess skim reading is, is would be appropriate, but um, I tend to be able to, to figure out a book really quickly, what, right. you know, what the, the main point is going to be. And I have found that it's helpful to read introductions and conclusions of chapters before going back through and reading the chapter. So you already know where they're going. You know where they're going, and then you go back and you judge, well, did they really get there? (laughs) Did they really really make the the point or the argument to get there? So do you start out by looking at the beginning and end of the book and then apply the same technique to each of the chapters? Yes, yes. And I I find that that's a faster way to get the gist of, of a book. And the more I'm going through, then I'm then I'm able to judge: Are they making the point that they say they're making? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, tell us a little about your writing process now. I mean, uh, we're talking about this um, uh, book. This is our time. I mean, you've pulled together a massive material here. What, what does that process actually look like? So. Uh, I guess my my main writing discipline is that um, I'm going to generally start with blogging. That's where I I hash out some ideas and I see what people how people respond, what they say. It sharpens my own thinking. Um, When I come to the writing process itself, I generally write a lot in a very short amount of time. Several days, I will write for hours and hours a day. So you go at it marathon style. Yes, I I do a lot of preparation beforehand, the sources I'm going to consult and pull from. And then I go at it marathon style. And then for a good several months after that, I will go back through and I I will sculpt what I had already put on the page, I will basically sculpt that into what will be the final product. It's fascinating, and that is really encouraging for everyone listening to this who blogs. Blogging is actually the beginning of what becomes a full-length book for you, and, and you're testing out ideas, you're getting reaction in that kind of way. You know, and it's not just blogging. I, I've seen that people use articles to do the same thing. I'm a huge fan of G.K. Chesterton. Yeah. I read a lot of Chesterton, and I read his essays from 100 years ago yeah. that were that were appearing in newspapers. Right. And, and What's fascinating is you can actually see the initial seeds in those articles of what would eventually become classics like Orthodoxy or The Everlasting Man. Like I see the, it's like the uh, 1.0 version before you get to the books. And I realized that what he was doing is what what is very similar to, I think, what bloggers can do today. That is is They're testing out ideas and then they eventually 
come to full fruition in, in a book form. I, you have some great Chesterton quotes in this book as well. I, yes, I, I yes, love that. So you're a Chesterton he's so fan. Quotable. He's so ah, quotable. Fantastic. You know? yes. Now, um, I, I really appreciated, by the way, your earlier book on uh, counterfeit gospel. Thank you. Um, Thank you. That was really helpful, especially the uh, therapeutic uh, gospel, the activist gospel. Uh, I have used that and uh, used it uh, uh, in the context of the church. This is on culture. Yes. Um, what drew you to uh, write on the subject of culture? Well, I felt like after having already treated the gospel in depth with that first book, I, I wanted to, to come back around and we are, we are living in a time of massive cultural shift. Yeah. It's happening so quickly. And I, I really felt burdened for the people in my own congregation, the life group I was leading at church, young 20s and 30-somethings, starting out with new families, who were just feeling overwhelmed by the rapidness of so much cultural change. And I thought, you know, if I, if I could do some kind of analysis of culture that would right. be easy to understand, a pleasant to read, very accessible, but could help them find their footing, you know, to, to see snapshots of this moment and understand we can be faithful in this time. This is what this will look like. Right. I, I feel like I would be doing a service to, to them. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about this is our time. I mean, th there's a lot of nuance in that title. Sure, I, sure. I, I, I talk about the title for us. So uh, two uh, uh, things go into that title. Uh, the first, I want to say this is our time. Here's Here are different snapshots of our current cultural moment. Everything from our smartphone use to the movies we watch yep. to our consumerism habits to politics and sex and marriage and all of these things. These are snapshots of our current moment. But then I also want to say this is our time, meaning uh, this is our time to be faithful. This is right. the time that God has placed us in. Let us run the race with endurance. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's not be uh, uh, bemoaning all of the cultural things that are taking place. Let's remember, God is sovereign. He put us in this time, in this moment. We're on the platform with a great cloud of witnesses around us, and now's the time for us to live according to the gospel. I love that. Now, the uh, theme of myths really ties the uh, uh, the chapters together. Each kind of draws out a myth that our, our culture kind of perpetrates on us. You start off talking about the, the phone yes. uh, telling us uh, myths. Uh, I, I talk about that a little bit. Well, I wanted to start off the way, where I felt like it would be closest to home. Yeah. And there's, you know, we we like to say we keep our friends close and our enemies closer. I say we like to keep our friends close and our phones closer. <laughs> our phones are increasingly a mediator between us and the real world. We, we are constantly uh, going to our phones for all sorts of information. And, and, and the phone itself forms us. Um, I, I, I think the biggest myth it tells us is that we are the center of the universe. Yes. Everything about our phones is tailored to us. It's, it's shaping that idea that uh, it's, it's flattering in a way that the phone uh, uh, gives us so much attention and is tailored to our own needs and expectations and desires. And you have some practical suggestions about how to use the phone I so do. that we don't become uh, victims of uh, or believers of the myth that it perpetrates. That's right. And I, I wanted to get practical there simple things, you know, maybe having uh, spheres or areas in your life that are, uh, or in your home that are actually phone free. You know, we, we never take huh. our phone to the dining room table. Right. You know, for my wife and I, we decided we will not take the phones into our bedroom. Huh. Uh, when we retire for the night, we don't want to ever be tempted to look at the phone in the middle of the night or if we wake up. Like there are times in our life we just simply want there to be no uh, no distraction. I love that. Um, yeah. uh, you know, but also just the prioritization of uh, Bible reading over phone checking, or yeah. or or coming to our phones and making sure that 
we, we access good podcasts and things that are going to direct our attention back to Jesus as the center of all things rather than ourselves being the, the world around which everything revolves. You yeah. know? Those are things that I think are important um, we, as we consider raising families and how we uh, set limits and guidelines for our children and, and just what, what it means for us to live in this hyper-connected age. Yeah. Then you've got a great chapter on Hollywood and how that tries to capture our hearts. And, and you, you, you speak, I find it very fascinating just looking at the, the way in which you talk about story mm-hmm. and the challenge that that is uh, to us. It's easier to criticize, you know, a Hollywood story than actually to use imagination and, uh, and to speak in a constructive kind of way ourselves. And you have a phrase in there that I really loved. You talk about scripture-soaked imagination. Talk about that. What, uh, uh, that's marvelous. A lot of times when we think of the Bible, yeah. we think of knowing facts, true and false, what is in the Bible. We know facts and trivia and all sorts of things. Um, and then when it comes to Hollywood, we, t- we tend to allow ourselves to become immersed in these stories without really necessarily thinking about how they shape our hearts. What I want to get at with Scripture-soaked imagination means that the Scriptures do more than simply inform us. The scriptures actually form us. They form our imaginations, our hearts, our desires. The storyline of scripture is something that we indwell. It's something we are to to be soaked in. To Im- because a lot of the decisions we will make in our world are not simple decisions of, well, the Bible tells me to do this and not that. A lot of times the Bible gives us wisdom, which we are then to, in our own discernment, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through our knowledge of scripture, then understand how we live in the world. We won't be faithful in the world that we live in unless we are truly soaked, drenched in the storyline of Scripture, our imaginations just completely through and through uh, shaped and formed by the stories that the Bible tells, by the poetry of the Bible, by yeah. the by the, the laws of God, the commands of God. This is the kind of thing that the uh, psalmist is getting at when he says, taste and see yeah. that the Lord is good, you know, to take his word into our hearts. The best book I ever read on preaching is Warren Wearsby, Preaching mm-hmm. and Teaching with Imagination. And he goes through all the visual imagery of the Bible. Oh, so true. And uh, he says, I used to think that the human mind was a debating chamber. Then I realized it was a picture gallery. Mm. And he said, communicators need to open up the pictures that's right. that are given to us in Scripture. And I, I found that in what you wrote, and I, I just loved it. I think that's a great encouragement for everyone who writes. It's um, True. Um, visual uh, imagery and the power of that, and, and, and you've captured that. You know, this is why C.S. Lewis is so famous. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he was a very sharp thinker logically, but his analogies really drive those truths home into the heart. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's so much more here. I, I wanted just to ask about your last chapter as well. Uh, see, I also started by reading the beginning and the end, but oh, I read, through, I read okay. through the middle as well, and <laughs> I, I have really enjoyed this book. But at the end, you talk about the myth of progress and uh, the myth of decline. Two different views of the world, one super optimistic, yes. one super pessimistic, and, uh, and you're not going in either direction. You're not buying either of them. Talk about that. Well, the myth of progress is so very powerful in our day because yeah. so many people believe we are, because of technology and science, we are on this upward trajectory of greater human rights and more human flourishing. And there are elements of things that have improved over time in our world. But to imagine that we are sort of moving toward this evolutionary utopia where we'll become more secular and less dogmatic and things is simply not the story that the Bible tells. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of Christians see that and they understand that and then they respond with this idea that the world is just getting worse and worse and there's just this moral decay and decline. Yeah. 
And, and that is not really the story that the Bible tells as well. I, I believe it's better for us to see, um, uh, there's an article from John Piper that I quote from there, where he quotes Charles Dickens, it's the best of times and the worst of times, yes. and says, that's always true yeah. of history, of our current moment. God is doing thousands of things all at once that we may never take note of. And God is, is, is there are, are, are simultaneously wonderful things happening and very bad and challenging things happening. Yeah. Or as Chesterton says, the world isn't simply going in the upward direction or declining, it's wobbling. Yes. He uses that word, the word wobbles. And I think that's a much better way for us yeah. to understand our world, to recognize the powers and principalities are arrayed against God, but Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is the King, he is coming back. And we should have a certain kind of confidence and courage in the world that we live in and not give in to either that myth of an upward progress or a myth of inalterable decline. I, I love that. And by the way, I'm really pleased that you're reading so many uh, great English authors. I mean, we've yeah, Chesterton and now we've Charles Dickens in that's here. Right, Let that's me right. read just a little <laughs> sample that I loved uh, from your book, Trevin for the Folks. When was the climax of world history? According to Christianity, it's the empty tomb. The turning point of the ages was not the dawn of the 16th century, but the dawn of the new creation in the first. The turning point was not the discovery of science, but the discovery of the empty tomb. The turning point was not the free love of self-gratification in the 1960s, but God's love offered through his son's self-sacrifice. I love that. I, I love, love hearing that. you read that more than I like <laughs> writing myself. So. Trevin, God bless you. Thank you for Thank your you ministry. So Thank you for this book. It is a great read. Trevin Wax, this is our time everyday myths in the light of the gospel. For more, unlockingthebible.org.